Good morning, and welcome back to Word Here and There Inspirational. I am Carolyn, your host. Stay focused. Look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. Psalms 105, verse 4. You won't be able to trust God fully if you don't stay focused on Him. Keep your eyes on the Lord. What does that mean? Don't let your mind and heart get sidetracked from what is truly important. Life is filled with temptations to put your trust in other people or in things like money or recognition. These will only lead to disappointment and failure. Keep your eyes firmly focused on Jesus, seeking his guidance and directional daily, seeking to become more and more like him in your attitudes and behavior. The better you become at keeping your eyes on his face, the more your trust in him will grow. Our inspirational story today is Incidental Kin. Whenever he bleeds now, it is my blood he sheds. On mornings when I am especially rushed, I often mishandle the razor while shaving my legs in the shower. While the water rinses the wound, I imagine that he might be shaving his face untold, miles away. Perhaps he, too, has inadvertently nicked himself. The blood covering the tissue he uses to stanch the flow is the same blood that streams down my shower drain. Even the most expert pathologist could not detect a difference, because no difference exists. He bleeds my blood because of simple chance, the exquisitely random circumstances of gene variety and selection. He needed a bone marrow transplant, and I, a stranger to him, proved a perfect match. I am curious about him, but rules made to ensure privacy and for the protection of both parties prevent me from knowing anything other than his gender, male, and his age group, young adult. The odds that he would find a suitable blood match was one in 20,000. I ask myself, What are the odds that I might find him revolting? What if we differ in political views or moral philosophies? What plans does he have for the rest of his life? What, I wonder, has he cherished, valued, hoped, forgiven? Because he could be anyone, he becomes instead the nameless, faceless everyone. One month before the scheduled donation date, I went to the transplant center to give additional blood and urine samples to confirm my physical well-being. As I returned to my car, two little girls, perhaps three and four years old, excited, exited sorry, the elevator of the parking garage, followed by a man of undetermined age. Although taller than I, he appeared to weigh much less, and he carried his wasted frame carefully. He slowly made his way to his truck, and with obvious effort, boosted both girls, slight as flowers, into it. I sat in my car watching him, wondering if he could be the one who would receive my marrow. I knew the odds were against it. On any given day, 3,000 potential recipients wait for a donor. Soon afterward, I learned that my recipient had commenced chemotherapy to destroy his own marrow and make room for mine and to suppress his immune system so it would be optimally receptive to the new cells. Once this process has begun, there is not going back. 
Either the patient receives new marrow or he dies. The marrow aspiration took place on a cool fall morning, two weeks past my 30th birthday. The hospital staff was courteous and efficient. I was given an epidural and put to sleep. The surgery lasted 40 minutes. Later, I learned that the doctors worried whether in the quickness of the procedure they had removed more liquid than cells. Post-surgical tests run on the marrow, however, showed a high cell count. I woke up after surgery, a bit woozy. The second of two autocologous blood units dripping into my vein. For me, the intravenous fluid represented little. Hastened recovery, renewed energy. But in a place not far from where I lay, another intravenous tube transferred my marrow into the recipient's bloodstream from which the cells would instinctively find their way into his bones. For him, these roughly two pints of spongy red material represented nothing less than his future. I've always considered myself to be an optimist, yet I could not phantom the tremendous amount of hope contained in those bags. No, not hope, something beyond hope. The substance in those bags was pure prayer, in an earnest, liquefied prayer. The anesthesia left me nauseous for about 24 hours, but I experienced no major complications. I was back to work in three days and resumed light exercise in two weeks. I impatiently awaited news of the recipient. Once in a while, someone asked me why I donated bone marrow to a person I knew nothing about. I usually replied that it's he who has done the amazing by risking his life in order to save it and by having such faith in a complete stranger. It's an easy stock answer, and one that seems to satisfy most. But even I know it doesn't begin to explain the reason why. A few years ago, my father's eldest brother fell ill with cirrhosis of the liver. He immediately quit drinking, but the damage had been done. By the time he started throwing up blood, all the late-arriving assistance we could summon was just that, too late. When I went to visit him in the facility where he was being cared for, I was shocked to find him shrunken, almost beyond recognition. He gave no indication that he even knew I was there. He seemed thirsty, and I gave him some water, but his teeth chattered as if he was chilled by the coldness that ran inside out, far beyond the reach of my earthly relief. My uncle was dying, and with him would go my father's last remaining sibling, from a family of five children. Feeling both inept and irrelevant, I kept my visit short. Upon hearing of his death a few days later, I immediately regretted what I had been given the opportunity to do, but had not. I wished that I had climbed onto his bed, placed his head in my lap, and stroked his forehead until his teeth stopped chattering and he fell asleep. This is what I wished, I wish it now as I wished it then, without hope, in the truly forsaken manner that I will continue to wish it for the rest of my life. It is this fervent, hopeless wish and the cold undercurrent of shame that still flows strong and black beneath it that serves to remind me that I am not noble. On the contrary, I owe, I am in debt. Three weeks after my aspiration, I received word that the recipient is doing well that the marrow is engrafting onto his bones. The impossible has happened. Someone whom I've never met shares my personal 
yet no longer individual genetic typing and is closer to me in some respect than a blood relative. I think of the person whose veins now carry my blood and of the 3,000 others who today need a donor. Some of them will not last the day, having run out of time. May a kind hand stay and soothe them to sleep. This is Carolyn with Word Here and There. Take care of yourself.